Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Welcome back to the Book of Daniel sermon series. Now we're on chapter three. The goal of chapter three is to help us to understand how to be courageous in the midst of the world around us. There are four main ideas we hope you walk away with. King Nebuchadnezzar, a powerful man whose hubris sets the stage for God to humble him. Golden image. That perspective changes things and all things look small when compared to our God. But if not, Understanding that delicate balance of trusting God while also knowing that in his sovereignty, he can do whatever he wants. Taking a risk that God will come through, fully trusting and fully believing that God's will is enough. Hold on to these ideas as they're being discussed today in this week's sermon, Breaking Breaking the the Norm, norm. Courage. Courage. Good afternoon. We good? We good? There we go. Well, this is the day the Lord has made. We ought to rejoice and be glad. Anybody glad you made it to church today? Come on. Anybody glad to be in the house of God around the saints? You know, every opportunity that God gives us to to be available and be in church and even be online, those of you who are online, we are grateful for you. We should take full advantage of it. Uh, there's, there's no place like being in the church. The way Hebrews will say it is don't neglect to get together. Don't neglect to forsake the brothering and the sisters and, the, the, you know, just being around the body of Christ. It just does something to you. So I'm grateful to be in the house of God, grateful for another opportunity, grateful for a new day. As Gabe said, grateful for the first day of spring. I went straight in the closet and pulled out the short sleeves. It ain't even warm enough for it, but y'all going to get these arms today. Because it's spring. It's what we do. But it's good to be here to worship Jesus together through fellowship, through communion, which we'll do at the end of the service, and uh, through the worship and singing. Praise God for Diana. So grateful for her leading us today. And Josh and the band. And we also gather, the main point of our gathering is to get into the Word of God. So let's do it. Grab your Bibles. Go to Daniel chapter 3. We are making good traction through the book of Daniel um, before we jump in, I just want to quickly double down on fourth Wednesday night prayer and Bible study this this week, this Wednesday. So seven o'clock will be here on the dot. We will be praying from seven to seven thirty. Uh, that's not a filler moment. We don't put that time for you for you to you know be in transition to get here. We're hoping you'll get here and um, whatever posture of prayer you choose that you would. Uh, Come in ready to pray and we'll spend that half an hour just kind of lifting up prayers in this room, making petitions to our God, thanking him for his goodness and his grace and his mercy. Uh, But then we'll transition to a time of getting into the word of God. I'm excited about it. We'll be talking about this idea of be filled, uh, going through life and living a spirit filled life. It's um, Ephesians chapter five, verse 18. That says, um, don't uh, don't don't be drunk with wine for that's dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. So sometimes I think, you know, we, we, have so, we have so much baggage when it comes to this idea of the Holy Spirit and how it interacts with us. Some of us, there, there's an, um, an unhealthy emphasis on spiritual gifts as it relates to the Holy Spirit. And then some of us completely treat the Holy Spirit like it's the stepchild of the Trinity. But how many know the Holy Spirit is God, fully God? 
not, not a piece of God, but, a, but fully God. And God lives in you if you've trusted in Jesus. You ain't got to wait to the next day. You ain't got to wait to a Tarian service. I need somebody to say amen. You can trust Jesus in your field at the moment that you trusted in Jesus. And we're going to show you that and go through that as we dig through, uh, through Scripture. 7 p.m. on the dot. We'll get into Bible study at 730. Uh, I will have you out by 9 o'clock. And that's my, um, my commitment to you. Uh, speaking of commitment, we've made a commitment to go through all of the book of Daniel. We are in chapter three, so we're we're working our way through. How many have been enjoying the series so far? Amen. Standing out in Babylon. And, um, you know, when you go through books of the Bible, it doesn't give me editorial rights to skip over the sections I don't like. Or, or let me say it this way. It just by nature, there's some stuff that I'm drawn to preach that might not be the Holy Spirit. So when you go through books of the Bible, whatever it is that is before you, you have to. It's not like this morning I could wake up and be like, let's go to Daniel 4. I mean, 90% of the room would be like, well, what happened to Daniel 3? We are forced to dig into whatever it is the Holy Spirit is saying to us. So there's a lot in here. Please don't check out. There's 12 chapters here and uh, we'll... We'll spend nine weeks in this book, and I'm excited about all of it. All of it's inspired by God. There's, there's not a part that's not, and I think it's relevant for us here in 2022. We are gleaning from a book that was written in 540 BC, and it still is relevant today. You can look outside and be like, yeah, I'm in Babylon. You can look at your job and be like, I'm in Babylon. Anybody work at Babylon? Anybody got a Babylonian boss? A little bit? A little bit? I know all of the staff here. Nobody said amen to that part. <laughs> Gay probably did. All right, let's dig in. Um, this is what we're going to do. It's 30 verses in this chapter, so I'm not going to read it um, up front. I'm going to pray and then we'll dig in. I want to talk about the idea of breaking the norm, but the, the subtitle is courage. That's what we're really talking about is courage. Somebody look at your neighbor and just say, do you have courage? Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Father, we're about to dig into your word. And so therefore, we need you. We cannot understand your word without your Holy Spirit illuminating it to us. So, Lord, I don't I don't want to get fancy, fast and loose or cute with the text today. Lord, I just want to preach what it is that you are saying. So would you open up our ears that we may behold the wondrous things out of your law? Open up our eyes, open up the, the ears of our hearts so that we may receive and be transformed by your word today. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Courage. Uh, when I think through history and I think about the greatest moments in history, typically the needle was able to be moved because of courage. Courage is one of those things that has the ability not to just change history, but change the trajectory of your life. You know, when I look back in history, it was December 1st, 1955, where Rosa Parks decided that she was not going to give up her seat on a crowded bus to a white passenger. And that sparked this thing called the Montgomery bus boycott. Literally, laws got changed. History got changed. And there's probably nobody in this room that doesn't know about Rosa Parks. We all know about her. But do you know that history changed because of courage? There's another guy by the name of Roberto Clemente in 1930s. Despite opposition, anybody know who that is? Despite opposition, he made it to the major leagues in baseball and, and was receiving a lot of pushback. But guess what? He changed the trajectory of the game. Hispanics are now able to be, it's very normal now for Hispanics to be able to play baseball because of the first person that was able to do it. 
Or what about Harriet Tubman? 13 mission trips she took from the north to the south and from the south to the north, underground railroads and safe houses in order to take slaves and bring them up to freedom. Do you know how much courage that took? Courage is one of those things that if you're going to do anything of significance in life, it's going to take courage. If you're going to do anything that's notable, if you're going to do anything that changes the way we view life, it's going to take courage. Now, here's the thing. By nature, most of us in this room are not courageous. All right, let me speak on myself. There are moments where I, your boy is just not the most courageous person. There are times where I'm in this room by myself, in, this, in the building by myself, and uh, when I come in, I turn on all the lights, the bathroom lights. I turn on stage lights. I'm in, the, I'm in the office. I'm turning on stage lights, all the lights. In fact, one time I was here, I had all the lights on and I was leaving out, so I was shutting them off. And I kept hearing noises. And in the back, I left the lights on and I was walking down the steps praying like, Lord, send money to pay the bill because I'm not going back up to turn them lights off. I was talking to Miss Carol. Miss Carol said, you, you hear noises too? That didn't make me feel good. I was talking to Ed. Ed said he was up in the IT room, and he, he said he didn't only hear noises. He said he saw a crate move. I was like, all right. All right. Y'all act like y'all don't know what used to go on up in here. Come on now. Courage is one of those things that I think has to be produced. It is not one of those things that you are naturally born with. If I hear a noise in the middle of the night, I usually am going to say, hey, Ty, did you hear that noise? And if she says yes, I'm like, you better go check that out. And that's, that's just the kind of courage is one of those things that I believe that God wants all of us to have. But it's one of those things that you have to practice. It's one of those things that you have to be put into situations where you have to show forth courage. And I love our text today because our text is going to help us today. Many of us are living in a culture that wants you to bend on your convictions, but guess what? It takes courage not to bend on your convictions. Many of us live in a culture right now that wants you to bow down to its cultural idols and pay homage and worship its idols, and maybe not like it is in the text, but there's just some little things that go on in life that, you, that, that life wants you to bow down to them, but it takes courage to say, you know what? I'll be embarrassed, but I'm not bowing down to that. There are some things in life there's an expectation that you will not go against the status quo. Everybody else is doing it, so therefore you should do it. And it takes courage to go the opposite way of what your friends and what the culture and what social media and what is cool. It takes courage to go against it. And I believe that God wants all of us to have courage. And here's why. If you are a believer in this room and you have trusted in Jesus, courage is a must in your life. You don't get an option on whether you will be courageous or not unless you're bending on your convictions. And, and, unless you, you're going through life and you're going through life the same way non-believing friends are. But if you're going to stand out, it's going to take courage. And so I love this text because it's going to help us because there are three of the four boys that came from, from Israel that are now put into a situation where courage is needed. Notice I said three of the four. If you're taking notes, take this little note down. There's 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. Only two of the 12 chapters, Daniel's name isn't mentioned at all. Chapter 11, Daniel's name isn't mentioned, which makes sense that that is outlining the succession of kings before uh, the, the, uh, the Persian period, before the Persians took over. But here in chapter 3, your boy Daniel ain't mentioned not even one time. Because Daniel... 
chapter 3 is less about Daniel and more about God standing up and building courage in Hananiah and Michelle and Azariah, all of Daniel's friends. Now, many of you might be going, well, where was Daniel at? How come Daniel wasn't there? If you remember how chapter 2 ended, and this is why chapter 2 and chapter 3 are so connected, and I'll show you more connections, but it, it, the way it ended in verse 49, it says Daniel remained in the king's court. So the three might have been out with the million bowing. Watch this. But Daniel would have been next to the king up front. So Daniel's not required to bow. All of the servants are required to bow. Daniel is third in charge, which makes sense later on. But he's third in charge and he is somewhere with the king. But the three, this is about the three and how God is able to do the miraculous when courage kicks in. All right, pick me up in verse one. I need y'all to talk back, by the way. King, somebody said, okay, come on now. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura. Dura would have been the most visible part of, of Babylon in the province of Babylon. Stop here for a second. You and I cannot understand chapter 3 unless you fully understand what happened in chapter 2. If y'all were here last week, y'all remember King Nebuchadnezzar had a bad dream that troubled him. And remember, he, he needed Daniel to, he needed somebody to come in and tell him the dream, but also interpret. And Daniel's like, yo, I, I'm that guy. I got a God up in heaven that knows how to do all of this. And so Daniel, he tells him the dream and then he interprets. Here's the question. Do y'all remember what the dream was? In the dream, he says, you, O king, you saw a great image. You saw a statue, and on this statue, it had a head of fine gold. It says the chest and arms were made of silver. It says that the middle and the thighs were made of bronze. It says that the legs were iron, and the feet were mixed with iron and clay. And then he, then he uh, interpreted it to him. He says, you, O king, you are the head. In other words, Babylon's empire is the head because it was made of gold. And you would think that that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar got the, 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 the lesson in chapter 2 because he worshiped. Notice what he does. He says, truly, your God is the God of gods. He affirms, he says, your Lord is the Lord of kings. He, he says he's the revealer of mysteries. And so King Nebuchadnezzar fully affirmed the four boys God. And you would think that chapter 3 would start out with a praise break. You would think that chapter 3 would start out with everybody worshiping. Everybody in Babylon now knows that this God of the four Hebrew boys does things that our wise men, our Chaldeans, our enchanters aren't able to do. They got a God that gives dreams and reveals them. You would think that's how this chapter started, but guess what? King Nebuchadnezzar starts the chapter by erecting a statue. Now, this is crazy to me because I'm like, oh, he was really feeling that dream. The dream was about an image, right? And in the image, uh, it was fine gold and it was iron, those clay mixed with iron. And you got all of these materials and all these pieces. And you would think that King Nebuchadnezzar got it, but he doesn't. He erects a, a, a statue and he says, do me a favor, y'all bow to it. And in bowing to it, I want you to worship me. In bowing to it, I want you to worship my gods. In bowing to it, I want you to worship my kingdom. Notice in chapter 2, only the head was gold. Chapter 3, the whole thing is gold. 
In other words, many commentators would have suggested that what King Nebuchadnezzar is doing is he's taking the dream and he's saying, my kingdom, they said it was gold, so I'm going to make the whole statue gold. Therefore, my kingdom is the greatest thing on earth. Not only that, my kingdom will last forever. But does he forget about the stone? The Bible says that there's a stone that's going to start small and it's going to crush the very materials that this statue is made of, but King Nebuchadnezzar missed the lesson. Let me say this again. In chapter two, he misses the lesson. And here we are in chapter three, and it almost starts out as a round two. Not that there is really a boxing match with God. God could destroy King Nebuchadnezzar at any time, but he's gracious enough to give him a round two. And here's the thing. I just wonder... Because what we can do is we can read about Nebuchadnezzar and be like, you ain't get the lesson in chapter two? Why are we in chapter three reading about you still erecting uh, all types of statue? But let's come down your street, scoot over for a second. Let me just sit next to you because let's talk about you. How many times have we missed the lesson? How many times has God showed us something and we didn't get it? How many times has he revealed something to us and exposed something? Many of you are in a relationship right now that you know you have no business being in because you got exposed that that wasn't the one, but yet you still lesson after lesson after lesson. He has to keep revealing. And what I want for our church is to get out of chapter two, learn the lesson and move on. Chapter three should have read different, but he's not learning the lesson. When God speaks and shows us something, there's the expectation that God has that you'll be obedient. When God does the miraculous, like giving a dream and revealing the dream, he expects that you will actually change the course. But that's been my prayer all week. And this morning I woke up and I prayed to God for the rest of this year, would our entire church learn the lesson the first time? Somebody say the first time. Because here's the thing about the second time. You don't really want God to have to flex his muscles again. You don't want to have to, and here's the thing about, I don't want to get ahead. Chapter four, the fool going to mess up again. He's going to miss it again, and he gets into another boxing match with God. And so some of us have wasted so much time learning and relearning and learning and relearning and learning and relearning the same lesson. Get it the first time. That is part of spiritual maturity. Spiritual immaturity has to have God keep giving you the lesson. Spiritual maturity says, God, you show me, I ain't touching it again. And it takes discipline and it takes self-control. But how many know that, speaking of the Holy Spirit, we'll talk about it Wednesday. How many know that when you get the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Learn the lesson the first time. King Nebuchadnezzar has not learned the lesson. So he says, y'all do me a favor. Y'all build me a statue. But I need it to be 60 cubits high. And six cubits wide. That is 90 feet wide, high and nine feet wide. And he says, do me a favor, y'all place it on the plain of Dura, the most visible part of Babylon. He is fully putting his idolatry on display and he expects and demands that the entire kingdom all bow down to it. Pastor B, you said this is about courage. Why are we still talking about this statue? Okay, pick me up in verse five. Y'all good? Verse 5, it says, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, and the lyre, and the tragon, I had to look that one up. I didn't know what instrument that was. It's actually, if you look it up, it's a, it's a string instrument. It kind of looks like a guitar, but it looks like Prince guitar. It's shaped in like a, like a, like a diamond shape. Check it out. But it says, and the, and the tragon, 
It says, and the harp and the bagpipe and every kind of music, you shall fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fire, uh, the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the tragon, the, tr- uh, the, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all of the people's, uh, people's nation and languages fell down and worshiped God's image, uh, golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 8, therefore... At that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of all the instruments shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews. It's always one that's just going to be so grimy and shady. It says, there are certain Jews who you have have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden images that you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, don't miss this, was in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought So that these men were brought before the king, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now he's going to give them another chance. Now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn and all the instruments, it says, in every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship... You shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Watch this. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? What arrogance. What pride. You don't know the God that delivers out of hands when he just revealed the dream in chapter 2? So he says, look, I'm going to build this image. When I build it, y'all going to hear the music, and I need y'all to drop it like it's hot, and I need y'all to worship. Everybody do the drop it challenge at the same time, and y'all all start worshiping at that moment. And there's three boys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. What I didn't tell y'all is they would have been teenagers at this time. I also didn't tell you that there would have been mil- at least a million people that were out worshiping, but three t- teenagers said, I need some courage right here. I ain't worshiping that thing. Because there is a God that I serve that is greater than King Nebuchadnezzar. And verse 13 says that King Nebuchadnezzar was in furious rage. That's not mad. That, that's not anger. Furious rage is something different. And in fact, I told you that Daniel was written in two different languages. Chapter 1 is written in Hebrew. Chapter 2 to chapter 6 is written in Aramaic. And chapter 7 through chapter 12 is written back in Hebrew. So chapter 3 is written in Aramaic. Do you know in Aramaic, this, this, uh, this word furious rage means... The feeling of intense anger that does not subside. Anybody ever been there? You was just mad and you just couldn't get over it? Like you, you was just, you were that angry. You were that furious at something that you just couldn't let it go. And so the king isn't mad. He's in furious rage. Now, when I read this when I was a kid, I often thought that the king was mad because they were worshiping their God. King Nebuchadnezzar is not mad because they worship their God. He just affirmed their God in chapter 2. 
He's going to further affirm their God in chapter 3. So he's not mad that they are worshiping their God. His fury is that they are worshiping their God exclusively. Let me say it another way. It is not their faith in God that has caused the problem. What has caused their problem is their refusal to put King Nebuchadnezzar on the same stage as their God. And so when I talk about courage, you don't simply have courage because you've trusted in Jesus. You have courage when you trust in Jesus alone. Come on, somebody. You, you, you got real courage when you trust in Jesus exclusively. You got real courage when the only throne on your heart is set for Jesus and nobody else. And see, that's what makes Christianity so different. Christianity, it is exclusive. We serve a king that is like no other kings. We serve a Lord that is like no other lords. We serve a savior and a master that is like no other masters. And so culture isn't mad that you trust in Jesus as your personal savior. Culture is mad when you don't worship theirs. No one cares that you came to church today. Your, your non-believing friends don't care that you took communion. They don't care that you got baptized. In fact, many atheists will say, I actually, I don't believe in God, but I'll let people believe in God because there is some moral good to it. It does keep things okay, so I'm not upset about that. But the problem isn't that God is your personal savior. The problem is when you say there is no other name given to man on which we might be saved. When you make Jesus exclusive, the culture says, put him in the furnace. And many of us, many of us, many of us will get side eye for our profession to trust in Jesus alone. And this is why, you know, when I talk about salvation, I am very careful to say salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ. Can y'all say that with me? It's by grace through faith in Christ, there is no sprinkle in addition and gimmicks that get us to Jesus. He's it. And here's the beautiful thing. He's enough. You don't need anybody else. And so culture isn't mad that Jesus is your savior. Culture is mad that you're not putting their idolatry in your heart. Let me see if I can make this a little bit more plain. Courage is not about simply not having sex until you're married. That's not, even I'm telling you, people will say, man, your abstinence, that's to be applauded. People will applaud that. The problem is when you say, ah, your sexual preference, that might not be godly. That's the problem. So courage isn't, yo, I'm not having sex. Courage is, I'm not having sex, but my friend is having sex with his girlfriend, so I got to tell him, yo, that's, that's wrong. You can't be a believer and then walk in sin. That is where courage has to kick in. Courage is simply not holding to a traditional view of marriage. Nobody cares that you have a traditional view of marriage. The culture gets mad when you don't participate in same-sex marriage. I know this stuff don't preach well. This stuff don't tweet well. This, this don't get over well on Instagram. I, we probably ain't cutting this one and posting it. But I can tell you because what culture will do, do is, culture will say, oh, that's your position? Put them in the furnace. And many of us have been in the furnace, but I would rather burn up in the furnace with Jesus than sit out and bow to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah worship their God exclusively. 
They worship their God with no, they don't have two thrones on their heart. It's not Jesus in my relationship. It's not Jesus in my money. How many know money makes a bad God? It's not Jesus and the approval of my friends. Jesus doesn't like to share you. Jesus wants you alone. And Jesus wants to be your God. Come on, y'all got it by now. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And so I, I, I don't know. I don't need another Savior. I don't, I don't need another Master. I don't need another Lord. Jesus gives what needs to be given. Baal didn't give it. Buddha doesn't give it. Confucius doesn't, didn't give it. Amnon, the Egyptian God, didn't give it. Let me go to politics. The Republican Party doesn't give it. The, the Democratic Party doesn't give it. I'm telling you, I am not worshiping the Republican elephant nor am I worshiping the Democratic donkey. It is the lamb I'm looking for. Come on, I need somebody that worships the lamb to just make some noise in this room. Because the elephant and the donkey can't wash away my sins. The only one that can wash away my sins is the blood of Jesus. And so the exclusive nature is what gets them in trouble. Not that they could have worshiped their God and Nebuchadnezzar and he would have been fine. He's upset that they are refusing to worship their king, their golden image, their principles, their idolatry. You know, before Elvis Presley died, he, he used to wear a chain that had, uh, it, it was actually multiple chains, and one of them had a cross on it, and one of them had the Star of David on it, and another one had another religious symbol, and all these religious symbols, and one of his assistants asked him one day, why, why, do, you, why do you wear all of those? Why do you have all those on? To which he responded, well, I don't want to miss out on heaven by a technicality. See, Christians, we don't miss out by a... Jesus covers all the bases. Y'all know that green check on your phone? Jesus checks off all the boxes. And what he does is when Jesus comes in your heart, you begin to see how fleeting everything else is. The stuff I used to bow to, I don't bow to it no more because Jesus gives me all that I need. And so look, they said, they, they said bow. They didn't bow. The king said, I'm going to give you another shot. Put the music on. Run it back one time. Bow. They don't bow. But watch what they do. Watch this swag that they give to the king. This just messed me up this morning. Shadrach, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, watch this. We have no need to answer you. If it be so, in other words, if you kill us, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Watch this. To be burning from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But don't miss verse 18. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. Do you see the confidence and, the, and, the, and how much courage they had? Here's the confidence. They said, our God is able to deliver us. Here's the confidence. They said, our God will deliver us. Here's the courage. But if not. In other words, they knew that their God was sovereign and if he makes a choice to put them into the fiery furnace for his glory, they was like, we good with that. Do you, do you see this courage? They're like, first of all, we, we know our God is that dude. How do we know? Because we would have grown up hearing about the stories of him delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. They would have heard about the blood on the door. They would have heard about the Red Sea and the feeding of the man. They would have been like, yo, our God, this fire is, he can make this look like a day at the sauna. 
beautiful day at the spa. That's what he can make this look. They know that, but they also know that there's a possibility that God might be sovereign in a way that is against what they want, which is to live. But they're like, even if I got to die, I'm willing to die. See, this type of stuff messes up the word of faith. Where the faith movement can't mess with this This is why, because they're too busy stuck in verse 16 and 17. Our God will deliver. Speak that thing, you know, that is not as though they were, although that's so taken out of context. That's where they get stuck. But you got to get to verse 18. But if not, in other words, my faith doesn't always make God move. Sometimes God moves based on what he want to do. And they're good with it. They're okay with it. Sure, put us in the fiery furnace. Put us there. Heat it up. It don't matter. Do whatever you got to do because I am standing on my principles and conviction. This, ladies and gentlemen, is courage. They understood that God was enough. Can, Can I just ask that question to you? It's rhetorical. It's not a conversation. Just think about this. Is God enough for you? That even if he puts you in the furnace, you're willing to sit there. Oh, y'all not willing to sit? Even if, he, even if he says in his sovereign choice, I'll get more glory out of it this way, are you willing to be put into the furnace? And here's the crazy thing. Yes, the boys will get delivered. I know y'all know the story. This is like the, the third most famous story in the Bible. I know you know the story. They do get delivered, but don't miss, don't run past the fact that they were willing to be thrown in. There's something there. What is there? It's courage. Because they were like, man, look, God got to be Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So I'm either all in or I'm all out. And they chose to be thrown into the furnace. There's, there's more here. Verse 19, jump down. Verse 19, then King Neb was filled with fury, bless you. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace to be heated up seven times more than it was normally heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. These men, don't miss this word, were bound. Their cloaks, somebody say their cloaks. Their tunics, somebody say tunics. Their hats, somebody say hats. Their garments, somebody say garments. Everybody knows that if you put cloth in a fire, it's going to burn up. But let's keep reading. It says they were thrown into the furnace. Verse 22, because the king's order was so urgent, the furnace was overheated. The flames of the fire killed the men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound, there's that word again, into the burning, fiery furnace. And King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? There's that word again. And they answered, O king, true. And here's what Nebuchadnezzar said. But I see four men unbound. See, if this was a Pentecostal church, we'd have ran around here. Y'all would have sat down. Y'all, come on now. It says, I see four men unbound. Watch this. But they're not just like they were thrown in laying down. But they're walking around in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth looks like the Son of God, another shouting moment. Then King Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, now he want to get spiritual, servants of the Most High. 
come out here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps and the, and the prefects and the, and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair on their head was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. There was not even smell of fire upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, he about to go into a praise break. Bless the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel. We'll correct him in, on that in a second. Who has sent an angel to deliver his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nations, or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruin. For there is no other God who is able to rescue this way. Do y'all remember when he said, who can rescue you out of my hands? Now at the end of the chapter, he's like, can't nobody do like this God does. Verse 30, watch the promotion. And the king promoted Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego to the province. You, you got to understand what is happening here. The king says, I am furious. Turn up, the, turn up the heat. Turn the fire up. It was so hot that the men that threw him in burned up and died. But these four, these three guys get into the fire and God uses the fire as the mechanism to unbind them. And after they get unbound, King Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. We threw three into the fire. They say, we sure did, King. But I see four and the fourth looks like the son of God. Now, here's where we got to here's where we got to do some work, because later on, Nebuchadnezzar says, I, God, their God sent an angel. But I'm just telling you now, Bible reading 101, always read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. If you're ever confused about where the Old Testament is going, understand the New Testament. This is why when, you know, uh, uh, non-believers come to me or are first-time believers, they're like, where, where should I start reading the Bible? Always start in the New Testament because you understand the Old Testament better. Nebuchadnezzar said, they got an angel in there. But all of us that have trusted in Jesus and have read the rest of Scripture know that the fourth in there was not an angel. But it was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And Jesus does what he still does today. Watch this. Jesus delivered them from the fire. That didn't hit you. Jesus delivered them from the fire. All right, let's get out of past tense and make this a present reality. Jesus still delivers from the fire. And those of you who have trusted in Jesus, let me tell you the fire that Nebuchadnezzar has, that pales into comparison to the unquenchable fire called the wrath of God. But that fire, Jesus has delivered us from the fire. I need somebody to give a praise to a God that unbinds and delivers from fires. I don't know if you're in here and you haven't trusted in Jesus. But here's what I know. The wrath that was stored up that Jesus absorbed, you know he still got a little bit more wrath in him, right? I ain't trying to scare you, but I really want to be honest. And I want, this is the most loving thing that you'll hear today. That there is a God that is so holy that doesn't allow sin to be in his presence. And because sin can't be in his presence, if you think on the day of judgment, we just going to mosey up in his presence and be like, yo, I'm here. Look at all the good work. He's going to be like, crushed. Fire. Go. But what we get when we trust in Jesus is Jesus has absorbed the fire. Jesus has absorbed the wrath. 
Jesus has absorbed that one sin that nobody know about. Jesus has absorbed it. And because he absorbed it, you are now deemed as perfect and holy and righteous and delivered from the fire. This is the Jesus that we serve. Four times the text says they were bound. One encounter with Jesus and he unbinds them. Just one encounter. And so here's the thing. All you need, if you've been here, you're right here. I know I yelled a lot. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, one encounter with Jesus and you're delivered from the fire. You ain't got to go to school. It, it ain't, you ain't got to jump through a bunch of hoops. You profess that Jesus is the Lord of your life and you can be delivered from the fire. Can you imagine? I'm ending. Somebody get Josh. Can you imagine... How the three Hebrew boys felt when they were standing, how small they felt when they were standing next to this image that was 90 feet high and nine feet wide. Can you imagine how small they felt next to the most powerful man in the known world at that time? Do you know how small they felt with the soldiers all around? Do you know how small they felt when they looked at the fire? Do you know how small they felt when the fire was heated up seven times? But once they came out of the fire unbound, do you know how small Nebuchadnezzar felt to the God of the gods, to the Lord of lords and the King of kings? And so here's the thing. I know that some of you that are in this room, I know some of you haven't trusted in Jesus. We want to give you an opportunity today to be delivered from the fire. And I'm not talking about physical fire that King Nebuchadnezzar can heat up. I'm talking about an unquenchable fire. The Bible says that there's gnashing of teeth and wailing. A fire that burns but never ends. An eternal fire. Y'all know hell is hot and eternity is long. Jesus delivers you from that. But I also want to pray for a group of people in here that have two thrones on your heart. And here's, I know, I'm not naive, I, I, I'm might be young in terms of pastoring, but I'm not naive. There are people in this room that have gone through life, profess faith in Jesus, but also have some other gods on the side, some side chick gods. Many of us have that in our life. And today, God wants you to dethrone every other God because he wants to be central in your life. God is not okay being one of the gods. He wants to be, come on, y'all. He wants to be the God. And today is the day that you can get delivered. Here's the thing. I want, there's two, two people that I want to come up. Not two people, two types of people. The first is the one that doesn't know Jesus. You need to be delivered from the fire. I love you. I, I'm going to be real with you. You need to be delivered from the fire. This is not hyperbole. This ain't no mythical story. This is a real story that actually happened. That Jesus is here today. And wants to deliver you from the fire. But I also want to pray for that person that has professed faith in Jesus. You used to be on fire for God, but there's another God that you've erected in your heart. And some of you, that's a relationship. It's a lack of focus. It's a job. It's, a, it's money. Whatever it is, today is the, the day of dethroning and putting Jesus back where he goes. So look, nothing deep, nothing spooky. Those two type of people, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, please come up here so we can pray. And if you have multiple thrones on your heart, let's dethrone them today together.
Thank you, brothers. I know there's more of you. Y'all come on up. Oh, come on up. Dethrone it today. That God ain't going to do nothing for you. Dethrone that thing today. Thank you for coming up. I see you. Come on up here. Come on up here. I usually move past this real quick, but I know that there's more of you. There we go. Thank you for coming. Thank you for your boldness. We're talking about courage. There needs to be somebody that exemplifies courage today. Today's the day. Listen, you, can, you might not come up today, but that second lesson is coming. That third lesson is coming. Get it right today. And here's the thing. I, I know I said a lot about hell, but... Honestly, I don't want to scare you. It's not scare tactics that I'm giving today. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants you. You. Not, not, the, you, not the social media you. Not the future you. You now. How you are now is how Jesus wants you. Because he wants to be a part of the cleaning up process. Father, I thank you for each and every one of these that came down to the altar today. Father, you are so good and so kind. I see you still coming. Come on up. Father, you are so kind. How you work in our lives. Father, we are grateful. And so, Father, I pray for each and every person that came to the altar today. Dethrone those gods. Do a work that only you could do. I believe, oh God, that every one of these people that came down to the altar today will never be the same. They'll never be the same again. And the reason they won't be the same is because one encounter with you changes everything. Unbind on this altar today. Remove the shackles and the chains that are holding us down. And help us to be free in you because he who the sun set free is free indeed and father I pray that in those moments where those idols look shiny and the gold is glistening and we're desiring stuff that we shouldn't be desiring father would you help us to remember the courage of these three men and help us to say even at the opposition of powerful cultures I will not bow because the God I serve gives me what that statue couldn't give me. God I serve gives me what the gods of Babylon, Babylon can't give me. God I serve is able to deliver from fires. The God I serve gives dreams. The God I serve stirs up gifts. The God I serve helps me to interpret dreams. The God I serve is a miraculous God, an all-powerful God. And so Father, do a work and the lives of those that are on this altar. The people that are on this altar represent a story. Each one of them have a story. Father, I pray, oh God, that you would turn that story into a testimony. That they would be able to tell others, I was bound. I trusted in Jesus, but I was bound. But I've been set free today. Through a passage written 540 B.C still relevant today I thank you and so father as they go back to their seats I pray that they would not go back like they came 
I pray that as they came, they might have came like the boys thrown in the fire, but just like the boys walked out unbound, may they walk back to their seat bound and never be bound again. Because God, you deliver and you set free. It's in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Set them on fire. And I don't mean Neb's fire. Set them on Holy Ghost fire. Put something in them, oh God. Help them, help them to burn so bright that others around them say, what is it about you? And we can say, oh, I dethroned some things out of my life. Pray that that would be the testimony of those on the altar. And may we all see the difference. And may we all get the, 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 the residue of their time with you and how you unbind. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. And we believe you by faith that you are going to do a work in their life. Somebody say amen. Come on, can we thank God for these that came down to the altar? You may go back to your seat.